Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be found in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. I'll be reading from the NIV, hear the word of the Lord. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Blessed because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, team, for leading us. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Just thankful for your presence. And, and for those of you that are watching online, thank you for tuning in and being a part of this service from wherever you are this morning. Um, thank you for worshiping with us in that way. And uh, uh, just uh, uh, very thankful for Dana being here to lead us this morning. Allison and her family are already headed to Florida for Christmas celebration with their extended family. So they're on their way. And uh, so... Dana and, um, and Tyrone will be here Thursday night for our Christmas Eve services. So it would be a special blessing to as they lead us in music. We're going to weave together the music of Christmas and, and the message of the gospel. So let me just encourage you, if you heard what Nick said at the beginning, if pick these up. They're right out in the foyer. That's the only reason they're there is for you to use them to invite others. So I was told the first service, sometimes there are people who... Christmas Eve may be the only time of the year other than maybe Easter Sunday where they will show up at church and and if that's so we want them here we want them to come hear the meaning of Christmas and hear the music of Christmas and hear the gospel on that Thursday evening so if you have somebody that you could invite to the four or six o'clock service take one of those that has all the information on it they'll know how to reserve their seats and come and what times the services are and so on. So please use those cards to, to that extent. We want others to know the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, the good news that we have heard and that we know, and we need to share it with others. So you can do that for Christmas Eve service this week. Um, a lot of praise reports too, just to share with you as we pray before we go to the Word. Um, we uh, heard, I heard yesterday that uh, um, Robert Dunlop is uh, coming home hopefully tomorrow. He has been in the hospital for weeks. He was on a ventilator for two and a half weeks, uh, really in bad shape. Still has a long way to go in his recovery, but the fact that he is close enough to come home, that's huge, blessed news. So thank you for those of you that are praying so faithfully for, for Claude and for Robert, and let's pray for them as this uh, 
recovery now continues at home. And uh, we're still missing the Allen clan, as you can see by the empty row. It's kind of obvious when they're not here. They are still in quarantine, but they're in their last couple days. And uh, Miller, thankfully, is able to be here with us today. He was the first to get it, so he's, he's done. He's, he's clear, but the others still have a couple more days, so hopefully their family will be able to rejoin us on Christmas Eve. But Jason wanted me to share that with you and just say thank you for your prayers and for them and pray that they'll uh, be out of quarantine and back with us this next week. Um, so just a lot of things to be thankful for today. And so let's pause for a minute and pray and voice those, those thanks, that thanksgiving as we go to the Lord's Word. God, we come to you this morning as we have proclaimed in song. We're thankful for your love. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for coming for us. And Lord, whether we're here or folks at home, Lord, we are re- uniting our our hearts and our voices today to say thank you. Thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for Advent, the reminder of your coming, this celebration of your arrival to come and rescue us. And Lord, I pray this morning you would help us to grasp that in a whole new way maybe today. Just appreciate it even more today as we hear your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through through your word, and I pray that you'd help me to accurately communicate, to speak that word out. And Lord, I pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, would be our guide, our teacher, be the one at work in us to help us understand and respond to your word appropriately today. And so, Lord, we come with open ears and open hearts, ready to hear from you. Teach us, draw us to yourself, and help us be witnesses of your arrival, of your advent this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Beth and I saw a story on the news this past week that uh, was encouraging and interesting to see, so I wanted you to catch a little bit of it. So watch this video very briefly here. There's good news tonight about music finding a way, a way to bring us together this holiday season, even when we're far apart. And it's a way helping people through their pain. As director of the Rexburg Children's Choir in Eastern Idaho, Ben Watson knew having a Christmas concert this year was crucial. It was really, really important for me to try to keep music alive and to continue producing music if it was possible to do it in a safe way. So he and his team got creative, reuniting a hundred singers for a socially distanced virtual holiday show like no other. Filming them one at a time in front of green screens, similar to what weather forecasters use, then later adding the digital background. Then we took all of those video tracks, edited them into one um, video, which uh, gives the sense that they're all standing on the stage together, singing together. The project, a month in the making. It was really something that I needed to hear that beautiful music, quite frankly, because it was um, something that my soul needed. Love that. Something my soul needed. Isn't that cool? Very creative. <laughs> to bring these kids together and the work that that took. You just think about that. A hundred kids to bring them in one at a time and record them and uh, video them so that they could then, then put them all together so that that song 
for unto us a, a child is born could be proclaimed. I love that. And it made me think that, you know, when God chose to move into our lives, into our world to save us, He did it in an extraordinary, creative way. He spared nothing. He sent His own Son. But He did it in a way that was not really the opposite of what this choir director did when he had to essentially Photoshop his choir kids into the picture. Jesus didn't just Photoshop His Son into the picture of our world. He sent Him in person, in the flesh. A child was born. It was God's own Son. And so, when you come to this story, the Christmas story, and this now Christmas week especially, it's this great reminder of all that is involved, all that we know about what God did for us. And and the Gospels of Matthew and Luke especially tell the story of Christ's birth in beautiful fashion, and that's usually where we go to at Christmas time to be reminded of the story. But this year we've chosen to do something a little different to go to the gospel writers who, during that first century of the early church, looked back on Christ's coming and explained it to us in even deeper theological ways to let us know about the incarnation, God becoming flesh. And we've called the series The Best Gifts because these writers are looking back and they're talking about what God has given to us this precious gift of His incarnation. And today in our explanation, we're going to look into a pretty unlikely passage, one that you may not think of at Christmas time. It's a a book that's written by an unknown author to an unspecified audience, and yet it has such great truth about what Christmas is all about. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Hebrews or your phone, or electronic device, whatever you have with you, take a look at this passage as we dive into it that Roger read just a moment ago. Let me just give you the background quickly while you're finding your your way there. The, The purpose of the book of Hebrews, it was written to demonstrate the superiority of Christ. And so the writer is exploring the Jewish law and customs, and it's just a rich history of the Jewish nation. And the writer is showing how Jesus came to fulfill and complete all that was going on in the Old Testament. And the first two chapters, he actually goes even higher. He looks up to heaven and compares Christ to the angels, shows his superiority over the angels. But in the middle of chapter 2, this, uh, this question arises, how could Jesus be superior to the angels if he became lower than the angels, if he took on human form? And so we come to the end of chapter 2, and you see the writer explaining how Jesus took on form, and in this act of humility, it led him to his victory and to our freedom. The passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to discover the best, one of the best gifts of Christmas is the gift of freedom. Freedom that we have in Christ, freedom because he came, freedom because he died. So our first key point today is that Jesus came to free us from the power of death. Free us from the power of death. In last week's passage in 1 John, we had this emphasis on the incarnation. It continues in this passage this week, God becoming flesh. Verse 14, since the children, 
That's us, have flesh and blood. He too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. So the writer says he too shared in their humanity. In other words, Jesus didn't just appear to be human, just take on some kind of a form so that we would think he was human. He became like us. In fact, if you look down to verse 17, the writer says, fully human in every way. So what does that mean? Well, it explains why Jesus came the way he did. To be like us in every way, he had to start in Mary's womb for nine months. God in the womb. It's just amazing thought. But he came like us. He became like us. And he was born like every other baby is born. He grew up as a child like every child. He went through adolescence like all of us did or will do. Now, have you ever thought about that? Jesus as a preteen, what that must have been like? But he went through all that to experience humanity, human life, human growth, human development. And as he became older, Jesus experienced all the challenges, all the emotions that go with being human. Which means, as he grew up, he sometimes fell and skinned his knees. It means that when he was with Joseph in the wood shop, probably occasionally he got it wrong and cut the wood at the wrong angle. It means that there were probably some foods that Jesus didn't particularly care for. He was human in every way like us, the writer says. With one exception, he was without sin. Now, you may think, how could he be human and yet sinless? Because that's part of being human, isn't it? Well, let me propose to you this morning that sin is not a trait of humanity. It's a trait, it's, a, it's a, the fallout of the fall. It's the curse of the fall. God did not create Adam and Eve sinful. He created them perfect, yet human. They chose to disobey God, and in their disobedience, sinned against God, and that brought on the curse of sin and death. And so, yes, we live under that curse, but Jesus came as the God-man out from under that curse, fully human and yet without sin. The writer's going to come back to that in a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. We have to ask the question here, why though? Why did he have to become fully human? Well, it was so that he could die. It's kind of the final act of being human, right? That life ends in death. Jesus came so that he could die because that was the purpose, the very purpose of his coming. He was born so that he could die. And there are two parts to what he did in his life and death. And here's the first. Jesus broke the devil's power over death. In his coming, in his own death, he broke the power, the devil's power, over death. Now, you look back at that and you say, well, doesn't God alone have the power of life and death? And that's true, he does. But because Satan is the author of sin... And death is the result, the consequence of sin. Therefore, death has become Satan's tool, his weapon against us. Because you see, anybody that continues to resist God's love, 
resist God's gift of salvation and stays in their sin, they then die in their sin. And in that moment, when death comes and that chance for repentance is gone, Satan has won. That's his only victory is when death comes. And so the writer, Paul, when he writes Romans, he talks about this. Romans 5.12 says that sin entered the world when Adam sinned, and because of that sin, death has come to all men. Sin is on us because of Adam's sin. So how did Jesus break the power? How did he overcome that? Well, if you go look at the story of Christ's life, you know that he came, he died on the cross for our sin, he paid the price for our sin, he didn't stay dead, he rose again, so he defeated death, he defeated the very weapon of the enemy by his rising again. And he offers that to anybody who will put his faith in him, they can have that same victory over death. Paul says this as well in the Romans, the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 17, an amazing verse. He makes this contrast between Adam and Christ as he looks at this. And he says, For if by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus turned death into life. That's why I came. Who here has a December birthday? Let me see your hand for just a minute. We won't ask you your age. Just tell. Anybody have a December birthday? Okay, we got a couple of December birthdays. Great. I've always thought that would be kind of cool to have a birthday in December, the same month that we celebrate Christ's birth. Now, some people think, well, if you have it in Christmas, it's near Christmas, kind of takes away from your birthday because Christmas overwhelms it. But I think it's kind of cool to be in that month. We had a December birthday in our family back in 1991. My sister, Julie, gave birth to her son, her first child. His name is Madison, born in December of 1991. And his birth is special not just because he was born in December or because he was the first child, because the year before, my sister had gone through a traumatic miscarriage and if you've experienced that or know somebody who has, you know how that, that loss hangs with you. And as she was going through that pregnancy then with Madison, it was wondering, would she be able to keep this baby? Would this baby live to birth? And it, you can't help but wonder that and feel that. But when he was born, and when he was born healthy and strong, that new life overcame that experience of death. Jesus came to bring life and show us that He has overcome death by His life and that He offers that gift to us. And so Christmas is not just a celebration of Christ's birth. It is that, but it's also a celebration of His victory over death. See, if Jesus had not been born, then he could not have died. And if he had not died, then we would have 
no forgiveness of our sin. We would be still subject to death. We would still be under the devil's weapon of death. We would not be celebrating Christ's birth right here and right now if it were not also for his death. And that's why we can't help but mention his death when we talk about and celebrate his life, his birth. So, Jesus freed those who are in bondage to the fear of death. That's the second aspect of this precious gift that we have, the reason Jesus came. Not just to defeat the devil's deadly power, but this benefit of freeing those who are in bondage to the fear of death. And notice what the writer says in verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus came to disarm Satan of that weapon of death, but he also came to free the slaves, all of us who were living under that fear of death. So as long as that death hangs over our heads, we live in fear of that threat. Because, you see, when we see death as the end, then we cannot help but fear it. Because it's the end of all that we know, all that we love. And so we'll do anything we can to avoid it. And so that fear that dominates our life then is the very thing that Satan uses against us. It's exactly what he wants us, where he wants us to be, living in fear of death. So the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that that fear of death is slavery. It's bondage to the enemy. So how does Jesus free us from that fear? Well, he transformed the whole meaning of death. And that's what the writer is talking about here. Instead of death being the end of life, which is how we commonly typically think of it, Jesus completely changed that view of death. He turned it into the beginning of life, real life, spiritual life, eternal life. So death is a transition to that life, not just the end of this life. In fact, God promises that death is one thing of many things that cannot separate us from Him, which is why we have nothing to fear from it. So Paul says in Romans 8, 38, neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So, how would you live if you knew that you could not die? If you knew that death was not the end, if it was not final, how does that change how you live? Well, it should radically change how we live. Would, would it affect our, our boldness for Christ? Surely. If there's nothing to fear, then there's nothing to hold back our boldness in living for Him. Would it affect your commitment to serve and love others? Would it give, give you a freedom to love and follow and obey as you never have before? Absolutely. Would it affect even how you view things in this life that, that all others are afraid of, of dangerous situations, of life-threatening diseases, of, of, of things that, that terrify our world? The writer is saying, those don't have to terrify us. It's not a fear for us. What if we really had no fear of death? You know, the Christmas carol 
Good Christian Men Rejoice, not one we sang today. Don't, don't sing it very often anymore because it kind of uses that old style, the King James kind of English, right? But it has in the third verse really captured this idea that the writer of Hebrews gives us. It says this, Good Christian Men Rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Did you hear that? Now you need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. We don't need to fear death. Because life goes on for those who put their faith in Christ. Jesus has taken away that fear. Now I'm going to give you an illustration here that it's going to sound strange that I went there. Just to bear with me for a minute because last week I, I made fun of all the make-believe characters of Christmas, right? But now I'm going to tell you about one because in the kids, it's a classic kids movie. I remember it from when I was a kid. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, Burl Ives sings and narrates the story and, and this, this whole extended story of Rudolph. Well, well, the bad guy in that movie is the abominable snowman right? So here's his picture. Now, in the old animation, it doesn't really look that scary. But the big teeth, you know, when you're a kid, it still can look scary. The big teeth, and, and he, when he roars, you hear it echoing throughout the, the ice valleys of the North Pole. And, and so he, everybody's afraid of the abominable. And he captures some of Rudolph's, Rudolph and his friends and, and, until this little elf who wanted to be a dentist, you remember the story, pulls Abominable's teeth out. And so, all of a sudden, then, when he has no scary teeth, nobody's afraid of him anymore. And his whole personality changes. He becomes this big, lovable, furry guy. And he even puts the star on the elf Christmas tree at the end of the movie. The fear is gone. <clears throat> now, in a little kid kind of way, Jesus has taken the fear out of death. He's pulled the teeth He's taken that weapon away from the enemy. And there is no more fear for us because of what Jesus has done for us. The removal of that fear is so significant. The writer is reminding us of that. This big picture that Christ came to save us from ultimate death, from the consequences of sin, that's good news. But what about the here and now? What is it about the incarnation that helps us right here and now? The writer gives us that too. So this is our second point today. Jesus came to free us from the power of sin. Not only from this fear of death, but also from the power of sin itself. Now remember in this section of Hebrews, the writer is comparing Jesus to the angels. And so we read in verse 16, For surely it is not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. So the writer's saying, Jesus didn't become an angel because it's not angels who needed saving. He didn't come for them. He became human to help us. Abraham's descendants. Now, when you hear that, you may just think of literal Israel, and certainly he came for his people Israel, but he came for spiritual Israel. The spiritual descendants of Abraham, all who put their faith in God, right? Right? That's who he came for, the writer is telling us. So Jesus became like us to help us in two very personal and specific ways here. The first is that he became our high priest. Now, if you ever wondered what, if God could have found some other way to do this, the writer is telling us here, this was the only way. Look at verse 17. 
For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the writer of Hebrews is saying he had to be made like us. The word carries this idea of necessity, of moral obligation. This had to be done for our sake. Jesus became human so that he could be our high priest. And as our high priest, and only as our high priest, can he make atonement for our sin. Atonement. Now, you don't think about that usually as a Christmas word. And if you saw the little video Beth and I made yesterday as the the reminder for today, you saw me in the Christmas tree trying to find an ornament that had the word atonement on it. It's not there. It's probably not in your tree either. Atonement is probably not a word you have in your Christmas decorations in front of your house. It doesn't show up in, I don't think, any of our Christmas carols, not the familiar ones that we sing. So we sing about joy, we sing about peace, and we sing about God's love, but we don't sing, atonement to the world, the Lord is come. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. But atonement is key here. In fact, if you were paying attention, when we sang that first Christmas carol today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's a phrase in there that says, God and sinners reconciled. It's easy to sing right over that because you're so used to singing that carol, but that's exactly what the writer's talking about. That's atonement. Reconciliation of the relationship between God and us as sinners. It's why Jesus came in human form. For our atonement. So what is atonement? It's a very simple definition. Def- definition. It's the payment made to restore a broken relationship. The payment made to restore a broken relationship. You remember from the Old Testament, on the day of atonement, the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. The only time he was allowed to go in, only the high priest could go in, and he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation to restore them to their holy God. That's atonement. Jesus came as our high priest to make that sacrifice by making himself, offering himself as that sacrifice. Our merciful and faithful high priest, the writer says. So Jesus satisfied all the requirements of our holy God when he came and died for our sin on the cross. So, what you need to hear is that that was God's plan. That was the Father's desire. He wanted His Son to come and die for our sin so that that debt could be paid, so that we could be made righteous, so that we could be in a right relationship with Him once again. God wanted us back. And so, when we talk about the best gift... Yes, it was the best gift for us that Jesus took the debt of our sin away. But it was also the best gift the Son could give the Father by restoring His creation in relationship to Him. This is the best gift all the way around. And Jesus did it by making atonement on the cross. Let me show it to you in another fashion. Maybe you saw this story This happened in the spring of 2019, so we're talking a year and a half ago, at Morehouse College, which is right here in Atlanta. They had their graduation ceremonies, and a guy named uh, Robert F. Smith was their commencement speaker. 
396 graduates of Morehouse College that year. Listen to what he said to them. Watch this video. This is my class, 2019. And my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. He made a grant on the spot to cover the student loans of all 396 of those graduates. Extraordinary. And it's amazing. You, watch, you hear the clapping, and then they start to realize what he just said. And the clapping began. Everybody stands, and you see the amazement of the professors behind him. If that removal of a student loan debt could draw so much excitement... Jesus, who took away our sin debt, deserves our praise. And the Father is in heaven cheering His Son for restoring that relationship, taking care of that sin debt so that we could be in relationship with Him. That's the love of the Father. That's the love of the Son. That's what He's done for us. That's atonement. Jesus paid our sin debt. But the writer isn't finished. I mean, if that was it, that would be enough, right? (laughs) That our sin is covered so that we can be with Him forever. But Jesus came to help us in everyday life and our everyday struggle with sin. This is our last point today. Jesus endured the temptation to sin. Verse 18, so he became our high priest. He provided for our atonement, but he also endured the temptation himself so that he could help us in our suffering, in our struggle, in our sin. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus became human so that he could walk through this life and experience and suffer the same things we suffer on a daily basis living in this sin-cursed world. This, the same effect that it has on us, it had on Jesus. So disappointment, heartache, pain, sorrow, rejection. Jesus experienced all that. And temptation. And the Bible tells us specifically about some ways that happened. Jesus, beginning of Jesus' ministry, He goes into the desert for 40 days. He's tempted by the enemy. To go Satan's way rather than God's way. He resisted. We come to the end just before his death. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's tempted again. But he says, he resists the temptation. He says, not my will but yours be done, Father. And he obeys. And how many more times do we not even have record of in the Bible? Surely many more times when when Jesus was tempted to reject the Father's plan, to go his own way, to, to not submit himself to rejection and suffering. And he resisted that temptation. And he did not sin. 
This is significant. It's important for us because the writer of Hebrews says in, the, in a couple chapters later, Hebrews 4.15, look at this passage on the screen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, maybe you hear that this morning and you think, well, if Jesus never sinned, then surely the temptation could not have been that bad. He couldn't have really experienced it himself. But I want to submit to you this morning that because he did not sin, he experienced greater, a greater level of temptation, intensity of temptation than we ever will. Because if you're like me, when temptation comes way too often, I just give in. I don't go through the suffering to resist it as I should. So I don't even know the full pain. It's kind of like, like a, a marathon run. Now, I've done some running in my life, but I've never run a marathon. So I've run enough to know that after you run for a while, it begins to hurt. Your muscles hurt, they start to cramp, it's hard to get your breath. It's just painful. But only a marathon runner knows how bad it gets after 26.1 miles and you still have a tenth to go. Jesus ran the marathon. He knows the full extent of of temptation. He endured it all the way to the end. So believe me, he knows about temptation. He has experienced the pain and the suffering that comes with it to the full extent. So he understands our suffering. He understands the struggle with temptation. And not just because he is God, but because he was man. He's able to help us, not because he experienced sin, but because he endured temptation and resisted sin. And that enables him to help us. He is able to help, the writer says. And the word for that phrase, and that phrase is used of a mother running to the cry of a baby. You know how moms respond to that first little cry and they're running to help? That's the same idea here. Jesus is ready to run to your aid, to run to help you in your time of need. That's the picture the writer gives us here. He came to free us from the power of sin by helping us every day in the midst of our suffering and our temptation. And he does it by inviting us to approach his throne of grace. He says, come on, come to me. Let me know what you need. So again, Hebrews 4, this time verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's this beautiful invitation. When the temptation comes, we shouldn't run from God. Sometimes that's what we do. Sadly, we run away from Him. We ignore Him. We stop praying We stop getting around other believers. We get out of the Word. And He says, no, that's when you need me most. Come to me. Run to me. And because that's where you'll find help. Jesus understands. Whatever it is you're going through, Jesus understands that struggle. And He's there to help you. That's why He came. That's why He was born. Our daughter Lindsay and her husband... Brian, I've mentioned them before, they live down in Smyrna, two little boys, and Brian, our son-in-law, comes from a fairly large family, and one of his brothers and his family live in the Atlanta area as well. And about six months ago, they had a little baby girl born, their second child, her name is Josie, 
And she was born with a tremendous brain damage. And so for these last six months, they have suffered through that. Difficult. Just for a long time in the hospital, and then once they were finally able to bring her home, just constant 24-7 care for her, knowing that she probably would die. Well, this past week, she did die. Beth and I went over Friday and watched the boys so that Lindsay and Brian could go and spend some time with his brother and his wife and just be there to comfort them and be with them. And as we ate dinner with the two little boys, we were talking about where Mark, with Mark, the three-year-old, where his parents were. And he understood, he knew. He said, baby Josie died. But in his three-year-old view, and as he's talked about with his parents, he said, baby Josie died, but they're not afraid because baby Josie is in heaven with Jesus. That's why he came. So that a three-year-old could have that confidence. No fear of death because Jesus came. Because he made heaven available to us. Because there is life after this life. That's why Jesus came. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to say to us in this passage today. That Jesus came for baby Josie. He came for you. He came for me. He came in the flesh to save us from death and to help us in life. So how do we respond to this today? I would just say if you're here today and, and you are still feeling that fear of death because of uncertainty about your eternity, about your future, about your relationship with God, then for you the response must be to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you, who defeated death for you, who is offering you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life so that you no longer need to fear death. That's what Christmas is all about. And if you're here today and, and maybe you're not afraid of death, you know about your eternity, but you're still in the moment, you're struggling with fear or doubt or temptation to sin, and you're you need to be the reminder to trust in the one who came for you, who died for you, who overcame the enemy for you, and who is there to help you. Because that's what Christmas is all about. That's why he came. He wants us to be free from the power of death and the fear of death and the power of sin. And only the incarnate Son of God can give you that freedom today. We're going to celebrate communion in just a moment, but we're going to sing a song in preparation for that. It's a song that's not typically thought of as a Christmas song, but it talks about His coming and describes this truth of Hebrews 2 so beautifully. I'm going to ask the team to come on up, be ready to lead us in this song. But I want you to see the words to the second verse. We'll be singing together in just a moment. Look at these words. In Christ alone, who took on flesh... Fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. 
Here in the death of Christ, I live. That's our life. That's our hope. Jesus came to defeat death for us. Let's stand and sing.